Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 81. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Today I have a real treat for you. I am speaking with Dr. Slovagen, who is an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Now he has graciously agreed to give us a little glimpse into his world. But before that, did you know that the HSPA conference is less than two months away? Pretty exciting. Now, usually in the months leading up to the conference, I'm listing out uh, fun things to do in the area, interesting things that you can eat, yada, yada, yada. But I'm not doing that this year. But what I will say is that the conference, which is May 6th through the 10th, is in Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Operaland Resort and Convention Center. Now, I've never been to the Gaylord in Nashville, but there is one in Texas, and I'm going to say it's pretty awesome because you don't have to worry about the weather. Everything's inside the hotel. The restaurants, they're all inside the hotel. The conference center, it's all under the one roof. In my opinion, that's pretty cool. Now, Again, the conference center is attached to the hotel, so there's no walking 10 blocks down the street to get to the conference center. There's no taxi, you don't have to take an Uber, so pretty much it's my kind of place. And then when you are finished with the conference for the day, you know, Nashville has a pretty active downtown scene. You know, even if you don't like country music, it's pretty cool. The weekends, I'm going to tell you, can get pretty rowdy. So if you're into that sort of thing, you're in the right place. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I've been shut in all winter. Right? I am ready for spring. I'm ready to get out. And, hey, here's my opportunity. What a great opportunity for you to take a trip No better way than to spend it with HSPA at the conference in Nashville. So join me May 6th through the 10th, Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Solovagen is an associate professor and director of clinical research in the Department of Orthopedics at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. His clinical practice at R. Adams Crowley Shock Trauma Center focuses on surgical management of complex extremity fractures. Dr. Slobogen's research interests focus on large multi-center clinical trials. He co-leads a research network of over 30 clinical sites participating in orthopedic fracture surgery trials. His most recent clinical trial comparing antiseptic skin solutions in 1,638 open fracture patients was published in October 2022 
in The Lancet. Dr. Slobojan, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Slobojan, what kind of things do you do as an orthopedic trauma surgeon? Are you specialized in a specific area of orthopedics? Yeah. um, So, orthopedic trauma is its own sort of specialty uh, within the field of orthopedics. And so, basically, all I do is fix broken bones. um, And I, I do so both in the upper extremity and the lower extremity. Uh, but over time, my practice has primarily uh, evolved to mainly lower extremity injuries. Okay, great. So you pretty much just deal with anything. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> great. When most people think of surgeons, they visualize them working strictly in the operating room. Can you kind of describe a typical day for you? Um, well, that is actually a tough question because I don't seem to have a typical day. But... <laughs> Um, you can kind of think of my days in sort of maybe one of four varieties. Um, I certainly have my operative days uh, where in the day I'm mainly in the operating room all day and I'm fixing broken bones. Uh, patients that have come into the emergency department typically the night before um, and are waiting to have their, their fracture fixed. And, and um, that's you know a typical operative day for me. Uh, but then I also have what we call outpatient uh, clinical days. So, you know, all those patients that I've operated on, I, I have to see them afterwards and make sure that their bones healing, their wounds are healing, that they're not having any complications and things are going well for them. Uh, so I will spend often about half a day a week doing that. Uh, and I may have other, you know, various things that I'm doing in the hospital, going to see the post-operative patients, things like that. So those are my two most common clinical days. Okay. Uh, but as you know, I also, I work in a large university system. I work at the University of Maryland um, and at, at the Shock Trauma Center. And so I also have a lot of teaching responsibilities and I do um, something that we call clinical research where I you know, try and look at the different techniques and things that we do to, to improve outcomes for our patients. And I, and I try and figure out which ones are best for patients. And that actually takes a lot of time and meetings and uh, actually written proposals and, and writing up those results. So those are my, you know, what I'd call sort of academic days. Great. So what happens when your day gets interrupted? For example, let's just say you're in your operating day and the instruments are not quite ready for your case or the implants, or you don't have your vendor trays, you know, none of that's ready. How does that affect your day? Yeah, I mean, the the range of effect is quite broad and and can be pretty significant. You know, uh, know, at the end of the day, surgeons are also people too. So we have schedules and families and, and things that we'd love to do at the end of the day. And that's often the simplest effect on us. But more importantly, is the patient, you know, like, there's a patient there that's getting their surgery delayed and sometimes even canceled because of that, because there may be four surgeries that we need to get done during a day. And if one of the procedures is delayed two hours, that may be the difference between getting four surgeries done and three surgeries done. And that means one patient is not getting their surgery that day. And, you know, in my field, all these patients have broken bones. So they're sitting around uncomfortable Mm. with a unstable fracture a lot of times and you know that leads to pain it's uncomfortable they're they're fasting all day uh and at our center where we have a a really high proportion of patients that are are sick as we like to describe it but you know like have multiple injuries maybe they're in the icu 
um, or they're teetering on needing ICU care, that can be the difference between them getting better and them actually getting worse. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, it's a, it's really a big deal for us. That's great. And I, I think it's important for the folks in sterile processing to understand that it's not just you wanting to go home. It's, 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 you know, the factors compile as, as the day goes on. Right. So, and it affects not only you, but it affects patients and their care and even, you know, possibly their healing. So that's, that's really important. So thank you. Yeah. You know, and I, and I'd love to give you another example, which is you know, the days that I'm operating and staying late and stuff like that, you know, they're, they're still relatively reasonable. I don't mind if I, I will stay till 10, 11 midnight, you know, that, that's not really an issue for me. The challenge is the, the resources of the hospital and the operating room. So mm -hmm. even if I am willing to operate, you know, well into the evening, we, you know, other nurses and other resources that are required to run the operating room also become more scarce at the evening. So, my ability to operate just sort of evaporates beyond my control, right? Because we can't run the orthopedic cases till 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. at night. And and so I, again, you know, the patients they get caught in the middle because they're the ones that have to wait another day. And it's not because the surgeon wants to leave or even necessarily the, the anesthesia or the nurse. It's just, it takes a huge coordinated team effort to be able to do these surgeries. And if we're missing one piece of that because of time, because of scheduling, because of other more higher priority uh, cases, then the whole thing sort of falls apart. Gotcha. So have you ever had an unsterile or contaminated instrument make its way on the field? Um, I mean, the short answer is yes, of course. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, you, you know, maybe you'll have to explain it to me. I, I feel like there's a, a lot of times there's degrees of uh, sterility or contamination um you know for for the stuff that we do we have a lot of cannulated instruments mm -hmm. instruments that go over another instrument and things like that and so the most common times that i encounter that is that you know there's sort of uh gross debris or some sort of particulate matter inside a cannula that has been through the sterile process that is labeled as sterile, et cetera. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's extremely uncommon that, that uh, actually, I, I can't even think of an episode where something was clearly not sterile, not clean and put onto the surgical field. Uh, that That's not really the case. It tends to be, you know, concerns with uh, how sterile or, you know, whether there was a breach in the, the wrapper, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And of course, our goal always is to have everything perfect. <laughs> and I, I wish it was every time, but, you know, it's just, it's just not realistic. Um, but our, our, again, our goal in sterile processing is to have the tools you need when you need it ready to go. Yeah. And, and you know, from a patient safety perspective, I think it's important for any, you know, if any patients are listening to this or whatever, to understand that the sterile field is a is a bit of a, a large geographic concept, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sure. there's the patient and the drapes and the, the area that we're actually physically performing the surgery on the patient. And then, you know, my the rest of my team maintains some some back tables as they describe it that yes. will have all of our clean sterile instruments on it. Now, when an unsterile instrument gets placed in that area, that whole area has to be sort of isolated or taken down, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so that causes delays, but we may not have more of that equipment that was on there. 
So, you know, sometimes it, it really can cause a patient safety issue, not directly because something unsterile has been put in the patient, but because all the instruments that we wanted to use now have been theoretically contaminated by this other unsterile thing put next to it. Yes. And so we either have to use different instruments or, you know, less uh, efficient instruments or, or, you know, occasionally have to abort the procedure. But that's, that's uh, quite, uh, quite uncommon. Okay. So kind of along these same lines, have you ever had to tell a patient or a family member that a contaminated instrument was accidentally used in their procedure or, or something like that? And what was that like? Yeah, it's, it's challenging. I, I can't think of a contaminated instrument that was sort of accidentally used. You know, most sure. of the time, as I said, our, our team is very thorough. So they'll, they'll inspect everything before we use them. That's when most of the um, errors or um, breaches in, in the contaminant or in the sterility are detected. Okay. Yeah. But I, but I have been in a situation where, you know, even a, a commercial implant, um, you know, was used knowing that it was um, past its expiration date. Okay. And, and, you know, that sort of situation, it, it really is sort of, life or death or significant harm and you know i don't like being in that situation because i have to make a judgment call and you know i, I prefer to avoid that situation completely and it's, it's only <laughs> i can only think of one episode um where that you know that it just was imperative that that be done yeah and you know i had to and of course then i have to explain it to the patient and uh, you know, fortunately, the patient was very understanding and, and everything went well with their recovery and their healing. But, um, you know, it's pretty serious and it and it's serious all the way from the patient's uh, experience, then the patient outcome. And then and then, frankly, also all the way down to medical legal. Right. Like nobody yeah. wants to be in a situation where they they believe they've done something wrong or somebody believes they've done something wrong. And, and now there's lawyers and. And, and concerns involved in there, right? Because yeah. all of that just takes away from our, our overall collective ability to, to, to care for patients. Absolutely. So in sterile processing, when we don't do our job, when we don't sterilize the instruments correctly, there, there's this potential that a patient could receive an infection. You know, from your perspective, when a patient gets an infection, how big of a problem can this really be? Yeah, so <clears throat> it, the severity of the problems, like as they get worse, fortunately they get less common. Um, but as, as everybody knows, if you get an infection anywhere, it is always possible that it spreads in the body, you know, that it gets into the bloodstream, that the patient gets what we call septic mm -hmm. and basically has bacteria circulating through their body. And, and once the patient is septic, you know, they can lose their life. And we've certainly... Uh, had to treat a number of patients over the years that have gotten such serious infections that cannot be uh, cured from their extremity that the, you know that they end up needing an amputation for okay. that extremity. So it, it, it's quite a big deal, even in the more minor, more routine situations that probably occur in you know three to five percent of our patients. Uh, that that in itself is still a three month process of multiple surgeries, uh, long-term antibiotics, multiple hospitalizations. It's, it's not a fun, fun process, even if we are successful at the end of curing. Yeah. 
Because this, I mean, because it, it, you could potentially be, t- be on antibiotics for the rest of your life. Is that correct? Is that a? Yeah, no, that's definitely correct. So, yeah, so really big deal. Thank you. I have a few silly questions for you. Right. And, and this is because, uh, you know, most of our folks don't ever get the opportunity to to physically get in the operating room. So have you ever thrown an instrument across the room during surgery? I have not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I don't, I don't really think there's any room for that sort of behavior in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or frankly, any time in the recent history. But yes, there's many stories of surgeons throwing instruments across the room. Um, I think probably more common these days maybe is when an instrument is no longer functioning well sure. and the surgeon would like to indicate that he or she does not want anybody to <laughs> attempt to repair the instrument that they just further break it. Um, gotcha. That's probably the, the, uh, the immature behavior that occurs now. Sure. Hey, let's pause for just a second. So are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Hey, that's great. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code TRAUMA. Again, the code for this episode is TRAUMA. Now, back to our conversation. When you're in the operating room, do you listen to music? And if so, what kind of music do you like? <laughs> um... Yeah, I feel like I got to answer this question carefully. Because I, I certainly, <laughs> well, you know, jokes aside, I, I, I know that some people may think that, uh, you know, when we're doing surgery, that our, our attention must be completely focused on the surgery at hand. And, and I don't want to sure. make light of that because it, it truly is. Um, but, you know, as, as we do these things as an expert, 10,000 repetitions, 10,000 hours, whatever definition of expertise that you want to make, um, some of these things just become completely muscle memory and, and are just so simple to do mm-hmm. uh, that, that we do like to listen to music and, and maintain a, a sort of healthy, light, relaxed vibe in the, in the operating room. And so for me, uh, I will listen to whatever anybody wants to listen to. If I'm choosing the music, I might listen to something called Soca, S-O-C-A, which is a... Okay. Trinidad, Trinidadian Caribbean kind of music that's actually got quite a fast pace to it. Oh, nice! But I also may li- I may also listen to nothing. Um, you know, it just truly depends on how, the level of uh, attention and and communication that needs to occur in the operating. Great. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't meant to trap you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no you know. So I, I I've I've been a surgical tech uh, in my previous life and. You know, I know I, there's opening music and, you know, sometimes there's closing music and they, they look like different things. But uh, yeah. also there's times when there's no music because this is a serious part of the operation. So, yeah, exactly. so personally, I've broken bones skateboarding. I've broken bones snowboarding. I was even foolish enough to run around a swimming pool and broke my arm. Are there any activities from your experience maybe injuries that you see more of that you would recommend folks just simply not do? <laughs> I'll answer with a s- silly but serious answer. Uh, and that one is drinking and driving. Ah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I still see and treat a lot of uh, patients that are impaired um, and are driving. 
And so clearly I don't recommend that. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, after that, I think a lot of it does have geographic um, differences. You know, when I, I used to practice in Vancouver, Canada, that has a very healthy um, mountain biking population. Oh. And, you know, we'd certainly see a lot of mountain biking injuries. Um, but here, I, I, most of the injuries that I take, um, take care of are as a result of motor vehicle uh, accidents and things like that. Okay. So last question for you. From your perspective as a surgeon, if there's one thing that sterile processing can do to really improve patient care, what would that be? Hmm. This is a really, this is a tough question because I, I realize that the demands on sterile processing has really increased both as you know hospitals do more procedures, but also as the equipment gets more um, complex, right? You know, yeah. now for some of our surgeries, you know, we have multiple, multiple trays that need to be opened. And so I recognize that one's ability to understand every tray and every specialty is it's just not real, you know, really realistic. And so I think the two probably biggest things are communication. You know, if, yes. if in your local hospital and your local department, you can increase the amount of communication between um, the sterile processing group and either the surgeons or the nurses or the equipment reps, whoever may be, that's going to be the first line operating room personnel um, so that, you know, we can make sure that all the equipment's in the tray, that some of the equipment that may have unique things like cannulated equipment, it's checked, it's clean. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that there can be a, a feedback process because it's not helpful if all we do in the operating room is complain about missing sets or contaminated sets or whatever you know there has to be opportunities to for both sides to 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 learn from each other and and explain and 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 get that right if you will so i think i think that's probably um the first thing and and just like everything else you know i think we all need to take pride in our jobs and recognize that this is what this is what we're doing and and that when we make a mistake, it doesn't affect me or you. It affects a patient, right? Yeah. You know, my, my day still goes on, but for that patient, they may be canceled. Their family member may be, you know, uncomfortable and sick and getting worse because we couldn't do their surgery. And, and that's really why we all went into healthcare in the first place. Well, that's great. You know, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today. Of course, and I appreciate it. folks that music can mean only one thing and that is we are out of time for today thanks for listening to the show hspa episode 81 is in the books hey are you looking to get a ce for this episode well you are in luck to get the ce simply click on the link that takes you to the myhspa.org website from there all you have to do is enter the code that was mentioned during the episode. Again, listen to the entire podcast and enter the podcast code that was mentioned. And just in case you didn't know, each episode's on demand. So when you're ready for us, 
we're going to be there for you. As always, guys, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.